us him one more time. Shout, he is good. Amen. You may be seated. Man, there's no place like home. It's good to be back. Thank you, man. I got, I even missed you doing that. Come on. It's good to be back. Come on. I love being home. You know, sometimes people want to move to the South just for the weather. I understand, but there is no place like Chicago. Can I get an amen for that? We may have some crazy weather to where it can go from the high 60s to the high 30s, but that's all right. We used to it, amen? I love this city. I love that you're here today joining with me, and the Word of God as well is going to be coming out. I want to thank Daryl wherever he went for the Word of God, but his wife's here on behalf of Daryl. Come on, how many enjoy it? Brother Daryl. And he'll be going to Bible college to make it official. He says he has the call of God to be a pastor. Isn't that amazing that you can be an engineer, a husband, and all of these wonderful things and say you still want to add to that being a pastor? And I can't wait to have him in the Bible college as well. And so our trip was wonderful. We accomplished a lot of great things. God is doing it, man. He is just moving around the country and nation. We're not the only ones. Be encouraged that what God is doing here, he's doing in other places. Amen. And what he's doing here is a special work as well. Because it's not the same as New Orleans. It's not the same as California. So we thank God for the body of Christ. Amen. I mean, just look at your body. This finger is not like that finger. This finger is different than that finger. I mean, it's obvious though, right? This one, I'm just going to be honest with you, gets a little bit more hair than this ear right here. Because I, how many men got to shave some hair in the ear? Any men there yet? Oh, come on, it's going to be TMI right now. I'm just going with the body example. This one gets a little bit more hairy. I don't know why. I don't know. Maybe I sleep on it and it festers up in there. I don't know. But, you know, the, every part of the body is different. And so I thank God that in New Orleans they're doing and I got to meet people from around the country. One of the dear testimonies that I heard was one of our students. And, by the way, this church has a Bible college that we've started, and we're going for full accreditation. That means we will have the same standard of education that Harvard, Princeton, and Yale have because they were once Bible colleges until they backslid. Can I hear an amen? Amen. So we have Bible studies. We have Bible classes. That's awesome. Wrote many books there by God's grace. But the Bible college is accredited. We don't want to play with that. If we're going to call it a Bible college, it's going to be the same thing as every school in this uh, area. We want to be on the same level. So I met one of the young men, and he uh, is from Oklahoma. And this is a powerful testimony. I just want to encourage you with this. Working at Walmart. Somebody say Walmart. Working at Walmart, sharing his testimony, guess who, by God's grace, he got to lead to the Lord? A Mormon. A Mormon. This precious brother was led to the Lord by the man that he was working with at Walmart, and then he brought him, this precious brother's name is Ryan, the evangelist, brought his friend Gage as he's discipling him, and after the trip, you know what Gage said, Brother Juan? I want to join the Bible college. So Gage is now registered to start in the spring. We're having now in the Bible college a former Mormon. Amen. And so I just want to tell you, God's doing it. I want a former Muslim now. Amen. Let's go get one. I want to get a former Hindu. I want to get a former Jehovah Witness. You know, and, and we already have former homosexuals and, and lesbians and things like that. And so I want to believe God for more former atheists. We have some of those, but I want to believe God for more. I'm just thankful for what he's doing. Are you guys glad you came to church this morning? Amen. Open up your Bibles with me to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 27, going verse by verse through the book of John in first service, Galatians in second service. Just to remind you all, if you don't come to both services, which most people don't, obviously, uh, go back and listen to those messages because they're great studies in God's Word. 
Uh, we have tapped on this before I left, but I want to go back into it, starting specifically at verse 27 in this passage. And I want to talk to you today about without limits. Somebody say without limits. Thank you. Do you know that our God has no limits? He is limitless. Our God is amazing. He can do things beyond our own imagination. Now, I want to qualify that because some people might think, well, then can God lie? No, God cannot lie. The Bible says he cannot lie. So there may be limits, but not for this uh, message. But I do want to just tap on that because if you want to be specific, the limits are his character. God will never go beyond his character. God will never lie. God will never break his word. And those kinds of things could be considered limits. But for the, t- for the sake of this sermon, when I get to preaching and I say God is able, nothing's impossible, I want you to know what I'm talking about, okay? So you see the philosopher, the teacher in me has to come out before the preacher in me. Because every now and then you got to nudge your neighbor and say, well, God does have some limits. He's not going to lie. He's not going to break his word. But I, I do have to get to preaching in just a few moments on this because I feel the emotional weight of this. And just know we as preachers understand we can be theatrical at times. We understand that the anointing can be faked. But I just want to tell you, I feel some excitement in this room today. And I sense it by the Holy Spirit that those of us here need to expand our vision to match where God's vision is for our lives. We need to expand it to the limitless nature of God without limit. Look at it, John chapter 3, verse 27. To this John replied, John's in the middle of an argument with Jewish people that are trying to make him feel jealous about Jesus now baptizing more people than him. We've already read those previous verses. So now he's replying to them. I just want you to hear this reply again because it's going to fit into what we're talking about here today. John replied, a person can only receive what is given them from heaven. So that is a foundation for what we're going to get into when we talk about the limitless nature of God coming in and through our lives for limitless potential, for limitless potential. So the limitless God is going to come into your life, my life, for limitless potential. But here's a caveat here. Here's the caveat. You got to get this. It's only going to be limitless to the extent that he gives it to you. So that means if you see God doing something limitless over here in somebody's life, but you have a limit over here in your life, you can't get jelly of what God's doing over there and expect to happen over here. You've got to let God be God in that person's life, in that situation's life, and be ready to accept what he has in your life. Can I hear an amen? Because jealousy will keep you out of the plan of God. See, right now, some of you are like, man, I want a new house. A brother in the church just got a new house. I want a new house. God is limitless. Why don't I have a new house? And people in Ukraine who are just as saved as you are say, I want a land to have a house on because it just got blown up by bombs. So be careful of what you're being jealous over because it can always backfire in that way too. You're saying, I wish I had a a house because God is limitless. And these people are saying, man, I wish I didn't have bombs blowing up my whole city right now. And so you can only receive what God has for you. And so to temper this prosperity message, which it is a message for us to prosper. People ask me all the time, are you one of those health and wealth preachers? Yes, because I am not a poverty and sickness preacher. I want to see you prosper. Jesus wants to see you prosper. But there is a plan if you get sick. God has you covered. There is a plan if you go broke. God has you covered. It's not going to uh, affect your Christian status before God. God doesn't love the rich more than the poor. 
more. He doesn't love the healthy more than the sick. Are you tracking with me? But if you look at God's ultimate desire, you could go even to the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 28. It's for God to bless us. It's for God to increase us. We should be looking forward to that. But remember, we can only receive what has been given to us from heaven. Right now, the Father is filtering the war in the Ukraine for the Christians, and they can only receive what God has for them now. And it may be a time of suffering. So we don't like that, but that may be what they have to receive right now, and the Bible talks about that, and they have to walk through it, and they'll receive heavenly treasures, amen, heavenly treasures. But what is God's best for them? God's best for them is to prosper. God wants the insane Putin to be struck down. He wants their land to become uncorrupt. Are you tracking with me? But oftentimes people try to thwart God's will, and he gives them a time to expose their own heart so that his judgment will be just. But going back to this and applying it to our lives, when we understand that God is without limits, which we'll be reading in just a moment, we also have to understand, we have to temper that, that amazing statement with, I can only receive what God has for me right now. So I've been preaching in a storefront church for many years. I can only receive what God has for me right now. I can't get jealous at my friends getting bigger church buildings. I can't be upset that the church over here converted to a theater. We've been calling down that church to get a, have a real church in it, but they sold it to a theater. Now, thank God it's a Christian theater, but it's not a church anymore. And we've been here on this block the whole time. They should have handed over the keys. Are you listening? You know, the, we, I remember talking to them one time. They had less than a dozen people. That's what we had in the Bible study. But they have, like, the whole block over here. But somebody say, he's not jealous. <laughs> I'm not jealous. I'm not jealous. I did have to work through it. But I'm not jealous. But, but you get my point. I can't receive that building unless the Lord gives me that building. Now, that theater might have been praying because they say they're Christians. I, I want to see that demonstrated, but I'm just saying, I mean, I'm taking them at their word, no reason to doubt. Uh, and they say they prayed for a building. So God gave them a building, and God has given us this building. Who am I now to complain? Have you ever looked at life that way? Now, this doesn't mean that we just sit back and just say, well, whatever it is is whatever it is. I'm working hard as a pastor. I want to see more accomplished. I, when I started off my marriage, just to switch subjects here from buildings to babies, when I started this, uh, when I started the marriage with my family, my wife, I wanted to have 12 kids. We've made it to six, and everything's still working in one way, but it's not working in another way. If anybody's tracking with me, we're able to do the act. I'm going to get a little bit more clear here. We're able to do the act, but the, the outcome is not the same anymore. Maybe some of my gray hair has affected some other parts of my body. I can't, I can't fix that. Are you listening? But I still want 12. I can only receive, my wife can only receive what the Lord gives her. So now we want to wait for the right time to start to adopt and get back up to that 12. Because we're not just going to sit back, get, up, get lazy on our couch, and say, whatever God has for me, then he'll just give to me as I do nothing, and then I'll know that's of God. No, God always says, come follow me, come follow me, and then you'll see what he has for you. So we have to be obedient to be following heaven, to be praying and calling out to heaven, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is where? In heaven. So this is this cooperation that we have with God. I call it dancing with the divine. It's a divine synergy that we're always in prayer 
asking God for hopes and dreams and the purposes and plans we see in the Word. We're always out working like the farmer. The farmer does not just look at the land and say, I'll receive as much crop as God wants to give me this year. He doesn't plant anything. He doesn't plow anything. He just looks at the ground. I hope that's what I, I hope I'll see a crop this year. Some of y'all do that with your bank account. You got to get out there and work if you want something. Are you listening? Some, some, I'm, I'm telling you, some of you do that in areas of your life, and it's just as ridiculous as a farmer just staring at the ground. Well, I'm not planting anything. I'm not plowing anything. I'm just waiting for heaven. I'm just waiting. That's not how heaven works. Heaven works as we work. As we work on earth, heaven works through us. End of Mark chapter 16. Let me go there quickly. End of Mark chapter 16. Somebody say work the word. Amen. Go to the last chapter of Mark 16. Now, are we saved by our works? No, but God has destined us for good works, and we do these in cooperation with the will of God, without limits. Look at this, Mark chapter 16, right at the end of there, uh, verse 19. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere. So they're putting in their work, amen? I said they're putting in their work. Amen. Thank you. They went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord did what? And the Lord did what? Worked with them. Somebody say the Lord worked with them. Amen. Was the Lord working with those who were sitting on their holy backside just praying for revival? No, he worked with those who were working the word. When you work the word, the Lord works with you. Oh, that went over some of your heads. That was worth more than 20 of your memes on Facebook. <laughs> Some of you better Facebook that right now. When you work the word, the Lord works with you. You notice that. The disciples go out. They don't just stay where they are. They go out. They get up. They go to work. They start putting an effort to what they're doing. They use their strength. God said to love them with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You love God with everything on the inside of you. And as you're out there working, you realize you're not by yourself. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me for my yoke is easy and my load is light. You're, you're there working with the Lord. As that example talks about yoke, yokes, one strong ox with one weak ox, they would rotate them. And Jesus is saying, I'm the strong ox that you are yoked to in the work that you are doing. You're never alone. But we have to get out there and work. The Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied him. You see, when the Lord is working with you, and as you're working the word and the Lord is working with you, he always confirms his word, doesn't he? And so even though I don't have that kind of a building that I'm dreaming of right now, he has been confirming his word by filling up this building with disciples, and I'll take disciples over a building anytime. Amen, because we don't need a building. All we need is the power of the Holy Ghost. When people take a look at what's going on inside here, they're blown away. They say, oh, this is happening within this little storefront. Yeah, we're giving the mega messes. I mean, the mega churches a run for their money in Jesus' name. Just half teasing them a little bit. Because sometimes I talk to Pastor Big Bucks and he wants to talk about nickels and noses. I want to talk about demons getting cast out, sick people being healed, souls being saved, and disciples being made. That's what we get, that's what we get excited on. Not, not saying that doesn't matter. I mean, it does matter how many nickels and noses you have. you got to take care of God's people and grow and increase. Somebody said to me the other day, they were making fun of these churches. Oh, one in my community has a rock climbing wall. I wrote that down. I said, I'd like to have that one day. 
Oh, shame on them. No, no, no. No, I actually told her to because I didn't want to be a hypocrite. I was like, but it would be pretty cool if you could have it. It would be pretty cool, especially in a city that doesn't have safe places for kids to play. It would be pretty cool, wouldn't it, to take over the YMCAs and actually say, hey, the Christians are here and we're ready to associate. <laughs> Isn't that what they were started for? Young Men's Christians Association. Christians are here. We're ready to associate. God has a plan. It's bigger than our plan. We have to hope and dream. We have to be realistic, though, in the sense, not realistic to our own fears and our own limitations, but reality, realistic to God's reality for us. Can God go beyond our own hopes and dreams? Absolutely. But we need to be able to hear his hopes and dreams more than we hear our hopes and dreams. Is today God's will for there to be Christian martyrs around the world? Yes. And God is working with Christian martyrs. I always carry this around or wear it, a bracelet with some barbed wire to remind me to pray at every meal to remember those who are suffering for Christ. I have them for free in the back all the time. Ask us, we'll give them out to you. You break them or lose one, we'll give you two or three. These are our gift to you, and we support the ministry who puts these out. It's our way of helping. It's little to nothing, I understand, but we have to keep them in our hearts and prayers. And so we understand that we can only receive, going back to John chapter 3, verse 27, we can only receive what heaven gives us. And if heaven, like what Jesus, wants Jesus to die, then Jesus says, not my will, but your will be done. But how many know then there's a resurrection, amen? Then there's a resurrection. And now it's the Father's will for everything to be subjected to the name of Jesus and to break every kneecap and have them bow, amen? That's coming too person can only receive what is given them from heaven. You can testify that I said I'm not the Messiah, but I'm sent ahead of him. John was a forerunner to Jesus. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine. Somebody say, that joy is mine. That joy is mine and is now complete. He must become what? greater and I must become what? Less. This is all still review. Somebody say review is for you. This was the last message I preached before I went to Mardi Gras. So hold it right there for me, please. Just give me a little bit more of that context. John is clearly saying, you know I told you I'm not the Messiah. I never claimed to be. My joy is preparing the way for the Messiah. That's my joy. That's what makes me excited. And he says, I got to do that. Imagine the privilege of seeing Jesus Christ in the flesh, knowing that's for the purpose for what you were sent for. That joy is his, he says. Now notice this right here and highlight it, please, for me. Verse 30. He must become greater and I must become less. This is the second caveat of having a limitless relationship with God. The first one is you just recognizing God is in control. He's God, you're not. If he calls you to be a martyr, it's his plan. Now go out there and do it, and he'll work with you. But if it's to be the next inventor of the smartphone, if it's to be the next billionaire, then go out and do that, and God will confirm his word. If it's to be the best Christian that you can be on your block, to have the marriage and the family that is the inspiration for people around you, then go out and do that. But you have to receive it from heaven. And then here's the last caveat. Here's the second one. And all that you and I do, we must become less that Jesus can become greater. That's why I always appreciate, and I don't know who won the Super Bowl. I stopped paying attention to it a long time ago. Who did? 
The L.A. Rams, wonderful. Give it up for the L.A. Rams if you care. Who cares? Nobody cares. Okay. You care. You watch football and sports. This is my man. Okay. Uh, so they did something great, right? They ran around in ties, chased the ball, hurt each other, and then somebody won, okay? Now, after that, somebody at some point had to give thanks. I was always the kind of person that loved when people would say, I give thanks to God. Thank God that I was able to do that. Even the boxers, like Holyfield, I thank God I got to knock this person out. Amen. That's good. You thank God for that. Amen. And you see, we have to remember that's always about Jesus. I thank God that I got to ride in a car today. I thank God that I got to be in this church today and that I get to pray for the persecuted church, that they're not alone. I thank God that my family is blessed. I thank God that we are able to help others. See, these are the things that remind us that God is greater, I am less. If we look at what our own hands have made and we try to take credit for it, we're going to suffer in the end. If the person who makes those touchdowns scores those points and says, this is what I deserve, then what they're going to get is really what they deserve in the end. That's an eternity without God. Do you understand that all of us only deserve hell? That there's no touchdown that a sports star can make that can, that can compare to the greatness of their sin. Their sin has disqualified them from God. There is no good work now that they can do to achieve salvation. Therefore, they either become less, they deny themselves, make life all about Jesus, or all the things that they have did in life, all the good things that they do, 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 do in life becomes do-do, becomes as filthy rags. God on judgment day will say, depart from me, for I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. I gave you a body to run and score touchdowns, but you didn't thank me for your body. You became greater and I became less. I gave you the ability to get an education, but after college you stopped going to church because you needed to start your career. And your career was so much more important than me, Jesus said. But now depart from me, for I never knew you. Isn't it something how we start off oftentimes in this church, even in a place like this, humble, asking God to do something great in our lives. But the moment we get busy with success, busy with jobs, busy with family, Jesus becomes less and we become greater. What then do we really have greater of? Condemnation. Be careful that you don't backslide with the blessings that God has given you. The worst thing would be for you to go to hell, having known all the things that Christ had given to you, but you became so busy you couldn't come to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Remember that parable that Jesus said. He said, this is what the kingdom of God's going to be like. It's like a king preparing a feast for his son to get married. He sends out his people to tell them to get ready, to, get, to come to the marriage, but they begin to one after another give excuses. And what are their excuses? I have to go commit crimes? No, what are the excuses? I have to take care of my fields. I have just bought this new land. I have to build on it. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, now go and gather those who did not want to come and bring them before me and slaughter them. And then he says, go to the highways and byways and bid everyone to come. And then he said, those many who are first are going to be last. And those who are last are first. How many believe today you're going to the marriage supper of the Lamb? Amen. You're putting the word of God first. All right. You ready now for limitless potential? Are you ready for your Tony Robbins speech? Here it comes. Limitless, limitless, limitless. Come on. Think about that. We own these messages. 
They're just fakes. I'm not saying everything Tony Robinson says is bad, but they're just fake and imitations. The Christians own the motivational speech. We are the best motivational speakers in Jesus' name. We are the best. Get you hyped before the game so you can knock somebody out and win that, that game, make that touchdown. Why? Because we believe that God created us for a purpose. We don't just do it shallow, though. We do it for the sake of those that we're going to impact. And more than just those around us that we're going to impact, it's for the kingdom of God. Because even the world and their motivation, they'll say, oh, you can help others. You can become a help to others. You'll be a better father. You'll be a better mother. Many of them have the wrong kind of morals. Well, let's just give them the benefit of the doubt, and they mean it the same way we do. At the end of the day, good mothers can still go to hell. At the end of the day, great businesses can still go to hell. Businesses that shared the profits with their employees, divvied up the shares equally, and were not corrupt in their corporation. I mean, you can still go to hell as a great CEO. Are you tracking with me? So as we get into the motivation here today of limitless potential, as we get to the message right here, I want you to filter it through those first two things. It's all about what heaven has for you. And then it's all about Jesus increasing and you decreasing. In other words, if you're the next billionaire, we need to pray uh, for Elon Musk. God is working in his life. He's he's sending Christians around him as we've already seen in some of his interviews, like with the Babylon Bee. But if we become like that, we want to be the most humble. And I just say that about him because I can see life is breaking him right now. He's not the same cocky person he used to be. But I would love for him to humble himself even less to the point where he can be saved and say to everyone in one of these interviews, you know what? Every great idea I've ever had has come from God. Anything that's ever worked and made this world a better place has come from God. And all of my hard work and wild living and all those things only would have given me hell. But I'm now here to bring heaven to earth. How may I help you? Tesla's here to serve. And all of us would say, just make them about 10,000 cheaper and we'll be your, your customers. Half kid, right? No, but I want to see billionaires be humble. I want to see billionaires bow their knees and weep at the cross of Jesus Christ. I want them to see their wealth as nothing, like, but, nothing but sand in their hand. As a matter of fact, as I'm on this, before I go, I think this is the Lord. I was listening to another man. He just made his first $100 million. He's the guy with the weird mustache, big muscular guys on Facebook, and that's how I found out about him. He sells um, a training to gym owners how to get more gym um, attendees. He just made his first $100 million, and you know what he said? All that I just achieved with money meant nothing to me. He said, I now can buy whatever I want, and there's nothing that I want that can really make me happy at this point. Now, that's a certain kind of person because you listen to most rock stars and rappers. They'll try to spend as much money as they can for happiness. But here's a guy that you can see God's already working on. I heard a little bit of his testimony. He used to be a Christian, but he got discouraged by listening to the heaven and hell message, and so he just pursued business. But I was just thinking about that here even in this message about how we think the greater we get, the greater we'll really become, and that's actually a devil's lie. The devil tried to give us greatness through self-achievement, but that Will bring us to the pits of hell. Greatness comes through making Jesus Christ great. When you lift up Jesus Christ in your life, you will begin to see things that you've never heard of or thought of, and God will satisfy you. God will do things that money, fame, and fortune can never do because there's those of us here who may not have had a billion dollars, but we've had success. God gave me the plan to go to get my doctorate. I got my doctorate, and now it's just a wall that sit, uh, it's just a plaque that sits on my wall. It doesn't give me happiness. 
Come on, can you relate to that? Have you ever set out a goal and you said, if I get this, I'll be happy? Even marriage, God bless my wife. We have the best marriage. I love her more than anything else. But there are days I can just look at her and there's no happiness that streams from her to me. Has anybody ever had one of those days? The fountain of happiness from my wife to me is off. It's off. There's no fountain of happiness coming. So I have to look to God in those times and say, God, help me to love my wife beyond her own emotions and her own thoughts and feelings right now. And how many know there's been definitely days that she's looked at me and she says, where is that fountain of happiness? I saw a meme that really describes what marriage is like compared to dating. Dating, the meme says, you say to your person that you're dating, I can't wait to see you again. I miss you so much. The person that you're married to, you say, your knee touched me last night. It crossed over yours and my side into your side or your side into my side. How dare you do that? Anybody relate to that? You touched me. You touched me. We're sleeping. I always say that to my wife. You're on my side. When I used to drop her off at night, you know, it's like, oh, baby, I can't wait to see you again. Mm, I'm going to miss you. I'm going to miss you too. This was before we were married. And now in marriage, baby, you're on my side. You're on my side. We have literally looked at the headboard of our bed, and I've helped draw it out for her. I said, this is my side. It's my side, right? I've had to have the conversation. What kind of wicked sinner am I? Please pray for me to love my wife more, right? But this is reality. Reality is flesh always is fleeting. And we always get disappointed with flesh. And our selfishness overrides our love and our compassion. And yet if we'll decrease, we'll see God increase in us. And then that, that increase of God will bring increase to everything else. I'm a better husband when I decrease and God increases in me. Then I say, baby, come on over to my side. My side's your side. And then I just mess with her sometime, and I say, you could sleep over here all night long if you want to. And then she looks up, you know you're lying to me. And then I go, no, I mean it. And then within a few minutes, I'm like, okay, I'm hot now. I'm hot now. I'm good. I'm good. I tried. You know, and then she has to lay over on her side. Jesus, you're the friend that sticks closer than a husband. You love me more than my husband, you know. And then she starts singing love songs to Jesus. Because how many know nobody can love you like Jesus? How many thought at one point your children would be the answer to your loneliness and happiness problem? And then after having them, they created a whole bunch of new problems in your life. <laughs> I know I'm not the only parent that thought to themselves, oh, if I just had children... I would always be loved. I would always feel this sense of bonding. I would feel so close to somebody, closer than I have ever been. Children will fill the void of my soul. Six weeks later, after the baby's been crying, not falling asleep at night, you're begging your mom, you're begging anybody to come to watch them just for 30 minutes so you can sleep. As they become toddlers, you're saying, dear God, what species is this? As they get to be young, uh, you know, young teenagers and all of this, you say, dear God, how does this repeat itself? I see myself in them. I thought when I repented, the flesh was crucified. I would never see this attitude again. Now I see it reflected in a 13-year-old staring right back at me. Can I get free from what happened this weekend with my oldest? <laughs> I said, give me that phone. Give me that. You're not getting this phone back. You know what it all started with? Like I said, this is the opposite of the Catholic confession. Catholic confession, you go into a dark place, tell a priest your sins. What do we do in the Protestant church? The pastor comes in bright lights and tells you his sins. Can I hear an amen? Here's the pastor now confessing his sins. So this weekend, 
I must become less. My, my, uh, God must become greater. Same thing in the family. My daughter must become less and God must become greater. Because in my house, we talk to each other with respect and smiles. That's how we talk in my house. I said to my daughters, and, and you know, because they're old enough to understand this, my kids are always just happy. How many just have some kids that are just happy all the time? I have kids that are just happy. My young ones are always just happy, okay? But listen, my teenagers are not always so happy. So I said to them, listen to me. I want you to talk to me like the, the waitress at Applebee's talks to me. I want you to smile. Hey, Dad, what can I do for you today? Great to see you here again. That's what I said, because if I see you and then I say hello and you go, hello, I go, we're going to have problems. So I took away her phone, and then, boy, she got happy. Boy, she got happy. She would give that waitress at Applebee's a run for their money. She was like, hey, hey Dad, wow, man, you look so nice. You got that haircut. Dad, I just love you. Dad, looks like you're losing weight. I want to hang out with you. What can I do, Dad? Dad, do these dishes need to be cleaned? I'll just clean them on my own, Dad. And then, of course, my heart melts, give back the phone, okay, you can do this. But she, she's learning. I got to become less. You don't give attitudes. You don't give attitudes to dad, amen? Start off the morning with an attitude. I don't care what time of the month it is, what time of the day. I'm not a morning person. I'm a female. I don't care what it is. You're going to smile at me. I'm going to smile at you. We're going to be the nicest and politest in our house. Somebody just got blessed by that family lesson, amen? I'm fighting for the peace of my house. Now, where does that tie into this? I don't know, but I'll try. Here we go. We all become less, and Jesus becomes greater. Teenagers become less, Jesus becomes greater. Verse 31, here we go. The one who comes from above is above all, talking about Jesus. John the Baptist describing Jesus to these people. The one who comes from above is above all. See, Jesus preexisted the incarnation. The one who is from earth belongs to the earth. That's why we go back to dust and speaks as one from the earth. We only know what we know down here. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and what he has heard, but no one accepts his testimony. At this point, we will begin to see that even John the Baptist will doubt who Christ is even after he proclaimed Christ. How many know he gets arrested, locked up, and he begins to doubt? No one fully understood who Jesus was, even including Mary. She doubted him. His family doubted him, as we'll see later on in the scriptures. We see his closest disciples, one of them, Peter, he had to call Satan. And how many know Jesus loves you if he calls you Satan? That's why I say to my kids sometimes, I might have to call you those kind of names, but just know I love you, okay? How many know you got to rebuke some people every now and then? But the rebuke comes in love. Now, if you don't love them and you call them names, now you're just, being, you're just being mean. You're being harsh. How many have, let's just be honest, how many have the spiritual gift of calling somebody a name and it's still being spiritual and in love? Okay, about four of us, the rest of you guys don't be saying names then. You don't have the right to do that. But how many of us, one more time, can say a name to somebody, call like a person Satan, but still love them? Okay, I'm, I'm one of those. Some people are like, you just called me a name, but I did it in love. And I'm serious. I'm like, I am helping you. Well, that's not like Jesus. Let me just start you in a Bible study with Jesus. Jesus called his closest disciples Satan. He called other people children of the devil. He called a world leader, uh, you know, at that time a fox. Every now and then, it's good to use names. But going back to this, Jesus understood things that people didn't, and everybody around him didn't get it. It says no one accepts his testimony. But now look at this. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. How many know at some point there were people who began to accept the testimony of Jesus Christ? 
Even though Peter was called Satan, he began to say, I believe. I believe now. Okay, you can stop calling me Satan. Jesus restored him for each time he denied him. How many know the end of the story with Peter? Each time he denied Jesus, Jesus went back and said, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? How many love Jesus here today? Amen. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the word of God. For God gives the spirit without limits. Would you highlight that phrase? There it is. That's our sermon for today. Without limits. God gave Jesus the spirit without limits. Limitless power upon Jesus Christ. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in His hands. How many things are in the hands of the Son? Everything. How many things? Everything. Jesus is equal to the Father. How many things does the Father have in His hands? Are you all quiet now? You all getting confused? There's one word that I want you to say. Highlight that one word. Starts with an E and ends with a G just to help the class out today. How many things did the Father have in his hands? How many things did he give to Jesus to have in his hands? If God says, take everything I got in my hands, what do you have to be in nature to handle everything God handles? God in nature. Can God say to an angel, here, man, take care of everything I'm taking care of? Can he say that to a human? Could the Father say to a dog, hey, man, take care of everything. Take care of this. My friends, the only way... The son could take care of everything the father has as if the son is equal to the father. That's why it starts off in the gospel of John. In the beginning was the word talking about Jesus. And the word was with God, God the father. And the word was God, God like the father. Are you tracking with me? You need to listen because otherwise you'll miss the importance of this. The father loves the son and he places everything in his hands. Now verse 36, whoever believes in the Son. Highlight that for me, please. Whoever believes in the Son. The Son, like how Jehovah Witnesses describe him to be, just a created angel? No, that's the wrong Son. The Son of God is not a created being, an angel. The angel Michael is what they call him. As the morons, I mean the Mormons say, that he's just a spirit being came from the sexual relationships of Elohim with Mary. That's literally what they believe. Elohim, God had sex with Mary. Out came Jesus. Jesus is a spirit being. Jesus has a brother as a spirit being, Satan, and there are spirit beings in eternity past, gods having sex with goddesses, making gods. Did you ever know that's what they believe? Now you do. That's why we tease them by calling them morons. And I said to my friend, the former moron, a Mormon, a former moron too, I said, are you okay with that? He's like, absolutely, it's moronic, it's stupid. But now listen, is that the Jesus? A Jesus that came from spirit sex? No, wrong Jesus, believes in the Son you got to believe in the Son as the Bible describes him. He's not an angel. He is not a created spirit being from spirit sex. Is he a mere prophet, as Muslims say? A mere man that was a prophet like Elijah, like Abraham, like David. Is that who our Jesus is? Now you have to understand how important this is. You better get the right Jesus because the Bible says there's false Jesuses. Whoever believes in the Son, the Son that has been described above, equal to the Father, able to handle everything the Father has. The Son who preexisted with the Father came to earth and is God like the Father, as the introduction of the book says. Whoever believes in the Son has what? 
has what? What do they have? Eternal life. Thank you. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life. God's wrath remains on them. Imagine everybody being born with a deadly disease. Everyone will die from that deadly disease by default unless they get a cure. This is how it is in salvation. Everyone is born a sinner. Everyone will be judged as a sinner by default unless they accept Christ as Lord. Do you see how important that is, class? Come on, Bible class. Preaching is going to start in a minute, but I need your participation right now more than your shouts and your hand claps. Are you listening? That's important to understand because people think that they're not going to hell because they've done some good things. What they don't understand is by default they're already headed to hell. Remember the example I just gave you. This deadly disease is upon somebody. Imagine they live to be 30 years old. But they're still going to die at 30 years old now. This is their time of death. So they've lived their 30 years, and they go back over their life, and they say, look at all the good things that I've done. They say, I've gotten an education. Maybe they've cured other diseases. Maybe they've helped people land on Mars. They've done all of these good things. Do any of those good things eradicate the pain of death that they're about ready to uh, experience? No, the only thing that will eradicate the pain of death that these people are about ready to experience is if that disease, that specific issue is cured and handled. It doesn't matter on earth how nice we thought Gandhi was. It doesn't matter how self-sacrificial uh, these monks in the Chinese revolution were setting themselves on fire to try to stop the invading armies or the Tibetans and those who have fought for freedom throughout all uh, history. Freedom! If you guys remember Braveheart. Anybody remember Braveheart? If he didn't have Christ, he went to hell. Are you listening? Because we're all under God's wrath. The side question that comes up, what about children? God says he takes care of children. And then what about those who have not heard the gospel? God judges them by their conscience. Let's go back to the subject, not divert the attention from you. So often we preach this and people ask these what if questions. You're not a child and you're not in the jungle somewhere. You're here. Let's go back to this. God will take care of those and be just with them. This word is clear that by default we have these things. Can God be merciful to children and those in other nations? He can, and he's told us about it. But as for us who hear this message, as for us who continue to reject this message, there is nothing but God's wrath because it's already been there and it has not been removed. It's not like when you reject the gospel, you then get condemned by God. No, you were condemned putting myself in the place of the preacher, talking to the people in Mardi Gras. My friend, you were condemned before I came here. I'm just telling you what the judge has already said. Now moving it from an example of sickness, move it to a an example of judgment. Let's say in one of these dystopian type movies, it's reality, like the Hunger Games. At 30 years old, everybody dies. They only want people under 30. No matter what, that judgment is upon you. It doesn't matter if someone says it to you when you're 7 or someone says you the, the judgment at 20. It's going to happen at 30. Now, what's the difference between God and being an evil ruler and dictator? Is God so loved the world that he gave his son? That whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. We as a humanity deserve this. We deserve it because we've turned our back on God. Now who in that dystopian movie or in a reality that's like that would ignore their own chance of freedom? Imagine if right now we said we can defeat Putin for you and set you free. Who would, de who would deny that? And this is what people do all the time when they deny the gospel. Satan, the overlord, the dictator, he's been defeated by Jesus Christ. New life has been promised through the gospel. And yet people still have the pride to reject it.
Is there any wonder that there's a hell? You go to hell because of that. The very rejection that you show now is what was in your heart to begin with. So may God teach us to accept him and believe in him. Amen? Vinny, would you come, please, as we get ready to close it out with the sermon that I came to preach? Unless I do a part three, and I just think that we can close this section out. How many believe I can preach it right now? Come on, help me, Holy Ghost, four minutes here. Limitless power has been given to Jesus Christ. Eternal life comes to you when you believe in Jesus Christ. If you could put up the scripture, 1 John chapter 4, verse 17, what does the scripture say? The Bible says, this is how we know love is made complete among us so that we'll have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like who? In this world, I know some of you are waiting for it to come up there, but highlight the, the main person that we're supposed to be like. In this world, we are like Jesus. Jesus had limitless power. Jesus was not able to be stopped by the devil. Jesus was able to accomplish all that was set out before him. Is there anybody here like Jesus? Is there anybody here that has the same spirit that was on Jesus? Is there anybody here that has Jesus, the limitless one, now on the inside of them? Well, then how dare us look at our situations and now doubt that Jesus? Goliath, not only do I think I can take you, I'm running at you right now in Jesus' name. How many Davids here are going to come out from the caves of fear and start chasing down the enemy and conquer in Jesus' name? How many here are going to look at the situations inside of their lives and say, addiction, you don't belong here anymore. Jesus said, I'm his and there's no limit to his power. I'm free from pornography addiction. I am free from bitterness and anger. How many want to look at the streets of Chicago right now and do what like they did in Matrix and say, come on, every one of you demons from hell because we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but these powers and principalities, and they are defeated by the limitless power of Jesus. I declare freedom for the west side. I declare freedom for the south side. I declare freedom downtown in every single business. How many here are going to look at their husband or wife and say, forgive me when I become greater and Jesus becomes less because things are going to start changing in this marriage. Things are going to start changing children in this family. I'm now going to become less. Jesus is going to become greater and we're going to see limitless potential begin to come to this family. God will heal the wounds of the past. He'll restore what was lost. He'll do greater things than we've ever seen. Limitless. The Holy Spirit who breathed and made the universe and put spiritual life inside of us was upon Jesus without limit. And then Jesus comes inside of us and says, I caught you. And then we hear scriptures like this and we put them on our, on our Facebook pages and we make them little magnets and we wear them as shirts, but we forget how powerful they are. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Limitless power over the enemy. Limitless power over what's affecting you. Limitless power over what's bringing a divorce over what's bringing children down the wrong path, over our high schools and our, and our elementary schools, power over our government. Jesus has limitless power today.
Well, what if it doesn't happen, Pastor, when I pray? Well, let me ask you a question. What if you prayed 100 prayers and one of them became a limitless answer? Would it be worth praying the 99? Would it be worth knocking on heaven's door to see one limitless blessing come to your life? Just to taste heaven for once, would you pray those prayers? I'm with you. I haven't seen everything change immediately. I know that God has called some of us to suffer and to be through hardships. But I'm telling you, if you keep praying and faint not and do not grow weary in doing good, you shall reap a harvest. Somebody will come back to this church and say, I saw my marriage restored. And it was going down the path of divorce. Somebody will be sitting here with their teenagers saying, they were once confused about their gender, but now they know who they are and they want to serve Jesus Christ. Somebody will come here with their neighbor and say, we almost used to get into fights all the time together because they heard my Bible studies. But now they come to the Bible study and they testify about the goodness of God. Somebody needs to believe today for the impossible. This is not a formula. This is not do this, do this, do that, and you always get limitless power. Jesus said, this is how you set yourself up and then you trust him. Number one, we can only receive what heaven has for us. So heaven, do you have revival for Chicago? I'm going to keep believing it until I die. Otherwise, I want to see it in Jesus' name. And then he says, you become less and I become greater. So oftentimes, and I'm not saying it's in every situation, but the reason why we don't tap into that limitless power, as I said before, in our marriages, in our jobs, in our communities, we become greater and make God less. I've never seen anybody who's made God great that they haven't seen God's greatness come to their family. God's greatness come to their community. God's greatness come to their very own life. Limitless power. I believe it today. It is up to you whether or not you believe it. Some of you will go to heaven without ever seeing limitless power because you're just saying, I'm good, I'm going to heaven, that's all right, I don't need to go that next step. But for some of us, we're not in a hurry to get to heaven. We're in a hurry to see heaven come to earth. Are you listening to me? I know so many of you say, well, I just, I just want to get to heaven. That, that's okay for you. But listen, there's six billion people that need heaven to come to earth. My prayer isn't take me home quickly, Jesus. My prayer is, Jesus, would you come here on earth as it is in heaven? Lord, before I come up there, I want to see your power, your limitless power down here, filling the stadiums, filling the communities. We're in a hurry to get to heaven, and heaven is in a hurry to come to earth. The Bible says his eyes, God's eyes, range to and forth across the earth, looking for someone to show himself mighty in. He's looking for someone to work with, someone that he can bring that limitless power through. And to begin to do things that no eye has seen, no ear has heard. When my wife and I first started this church, we had to believe God for limitless power because my power was weak. My influence was small. I didn't have anything to offer anyone except pedaling my bike to Belmont and Clark by, by His grace to just preach to people one-on-one because I knew not what else to do with my time. I'm a pastor now, and I don't have anybody to pastor. I might as well go find some over here who needs it the most. But I saw God's limitless power. 
We're about ready to do baptisms. We probably baptized in this church over 500 people over the years. Many of you have been baptized. Most of our church, 60, 70% has been saved in this church. I remember meeting a woman at Reese Park with her daughter. She got saved at Reese Park, and she always remembers. It was because you guys went out there to hand out bottled water. She saved. That was over 10 years ago. It impacted her whole family. We've met people at the bus stops. We've met people at the, at the jobs. God's gospel is working. Who am I now to complain and say it hasn't moved fast enough? Did he keep his word? Did I see limitless power? Do I see it in many of your testimonies? Some of you, you're the only Christian in your home. And the limitless power that you're experiencing from God is the power to pray when your parents and family mock you. But God's power is on the inside of you. And I've been doing this long enough to tell you, keep praying, keep going after God, because I've seen moms and dads get baptized by their, parent, by their children's prayers. Limitless power. Limitless power. There was a young lady in this church that came up to me. She'll be coming, I believe, to second service. And she told me, she said, I was confused about my gender, so I left this church. She had come as a teenager. She said, I was confused about my gender. I didn't know which one I was, a boy or a girl, so I began to go towards the other way. And she says, now I know who I am. And I know what God has called me to do. And I want to be 100% honest with you. We were standing right here. I just looked at her after she said it. And this is what she said to me. You don't know which one I am, do you? And I said, I don't. Because however, her, her, the drugs had changed. I didn't know if she was a boy, now knowing that she needed to be a boy. Or if she was a girl, she says, I'm a girl that was trying to be a boy. And I go, I'm glad that you told me that. Because now I can pray for the feminine to come out. I saw her two weeks ago by God's grace. And I'm not just saying it's an external thing. But I want to talk to you about limitless power. I saw her two weeks ago. I did not even recognize her. I said, this is a beautiful young lady. I saw it at the corner of my eye. I didn't even recognize her. I said, oh, that's the one that stood over here. That I didn't know if she was a boy or a girl. And now it's not only just playing dress up. It's her being comfortable in the skin that she's in. The whole world wants to tell her that she's deceived that she's lost her mind but there is limitless power to rid her from any gender confusion today she's a beautiful woman of God I mean where do you see these kinds of things except in the church where God's people are the transformations they're second to none there's nothing that compares to the limitless power of God I remember pastoring a couple, and if I would have known about it, that man would have been in jail, but it happened before they got to the church, because I want to be honest, I am an advocate to every person abused. We don't tolerate it. I don't care what Christian they say they are. They need to go to jail and serve Jesus. But listen, this man confessed to me with his wife sitting next to them, uh, sitting next to him in tears. Pastor, I used to abuse her. I used to beat her up when we got in fights. Tears streaming down his eyes. But Jesus changed my life. Jesus transformed me. And I could see the tears in her eyes. She's saying, he's not the same anymore. He's not the same. That was over 10 years ago. He never hit her again. They have a blessed marriage. Now they're helping other marriage. You see, the power of God is greater than whatever was going on inside of that man's heart. Whatever he had gone through, whether he was a victim of abuse or whether whatever he was triggered by, the limitless power. 
power of God made an abusive husband a father and a lover limitless limitless we we look at our thimble we look at our thimble here in church and go I understand God I got it all figured out and there's an ocean of God's power are you listening to me I've been to cemeteries, I mean seminaries, where every doctor with their glasses to their nose, oh, I, oh I, I've studied miracles, and now I just believe they only happen at certain times. Oh, and I used to believe in the literal resurrection, but now I believe it was more of a spiritual resurrection. To hell with the devil. Listen to me, my friends. We don't have it figured out. We only have a thimbleful. There is an ocean over here waiting for us to participate in the limitless power of God. If God said let there be light, He can raise the dead. He can grow out limbs. He can heal the sick. I love what Frank Turek, the apologist, said. He said, if you already believe God said it, bang, it happened. There's nothing impossible for His Word because everything in the universe is held together by His Word. What is a limb growing out to God? They saw it in Azusa Street. I pray we see it again. In the Argentine revival, those who had dentist issues began to see gold fillings come in their mouth, documented. Those in Irish ministry, they seen the death here and the dead raised, and they have it documented. People have done the research. Sent professional doctors to Irish ministries where one of our missionaries worked because they heard so many uh, testimonies. They wanted to see if it could be documented. We have now documented people being raised from the dead, death being ears here, and people still disbelieve, even Christians. What is a deaf ear to God? What is a blinded eye to our God? What is this president to our God? What is Putin to our God? God made the leader of Babylon like a wild animal. God could strike Putin down right now and he could be eating grass like a cow. God is waiting for us to say, Lord, I trust you, but I want you to become greater. I only will receive what you give me. And if here is where I die, then this is where I'll die. But Lord, I want you to be greater for others to see it. God, I want you to be greater in the high schools. Jason was one to the Lord. Raise your hand, please, Jason. Was one to the Lord because TJ, another high school student, said, I'm going to start doing school clubs. And Jose came and preached. And you got saved when Jose came to preach at a school club in the city of Chicago where everybody says, what's up with these young people? Where they say nobody wants Jesus. Jesus and limitless power got into that school and changed his life. Won't he do it again? Won't he do it again. One last story to encourage you. I told you we do it better than Tony, Tony Robbins, don't we? Come on. Motivational for Jesus. Carlos Anacondia was a businessman making, uh, making parts for machines in Buenos Aires, Argentina in the early 80s. And there was a small church about this size that began to meet and pray for people. And I think he was either the boss or a friend of someone in the church. And so they prayed for Carlos to get saved. He came to church much more wealthy than most of the people there. He was well-to-do. But God touched his heart. 
saved him through and through. He didn't get a religious Catholic Jesus. He got the Pentecostal Holy Ghost and fire Jesus. Not just the one on the cross. He got the one on the heart. Are you listening to me? And he said to his pastor, he said, I am reading the Bible now for the first time, it seems like, and I see Jesus doing miracles. I see Jesus can do all of these things. He said, can we start having a tent crusade, a campagna, just right out here and just start inviting the whole community? The pastor, just out of respect for the church, not knowing this man very well because people come and go. Trust me, it happens all the time. He said, just wait, just wait. So he said, what do I do? pastor wanted to test his heart. Clean up the children's area and clean the bathrooms at the end of every service. This is a businessman worth more than probably the whole church and everybody combined. But he started to go and clean up the messes. The first day he says he showed up to start cleaning up the children's messes, the women who were normally there were complaining, Oh, Dios mío, look at these kids. They made a mess here. They made a mess here. Oh, I can't believe this week what they did over here. Oh, somebody come and clean this. But he said God spoke to his heart, and he said, Don't curse. Bless. And he said, Lord, I thank you for this child that came to church today. And I thank you for this child that stood over here today. And I thank you for this child. And he cleaned the bathrooms. And then the pastor said, go, you're free, you're free to do it. I trust you now. The first day, people began to get healed. The next day, they came back. They couldn't fit into the small tent. Put up some pictures, please, of the Argentine revival. It ended up lasting 10 years. Soccer stadiums were filled. And still today, he's one of the best-known evangelists in the area. Limitless. Limitless. If God did it for Carlos and Acondia, would he do it for you? How many want to see a tent crusade start in the back of this parking lot to where we can't fit them in anymore and we have to go to Soldier Stadium? It took somebody to believe. Put the top right one, top right one right there. Limitless. It was funny because one of the Bible colleges was there and he saw, and that one too, please, started in 1984, top left. And the Bible college, his name is pastor, uh, the, the professor was Sergio Scatolini. Top left, my brother. Please and thank you. Right there, yeah. And you know what? He said, I see all my Bible college students coming tired. He asked him, he said, why are you guys tired in class? They said, oh, man, there's revival. There's revival. It's happening outdoors. It's just out in the open. So the Bible college professor, you know what he said? He said, I know better than him. You guys go. I don't need to go. No, he didn't. You know what he said? Sergio Scatolini said, I'll go. Sergio Scatolini started doing prayer work. Imagine that a pastor, a Bible college professor, while a businessman who has never even been to Bible college, only been saved maybe a year, is filling up stadiums. The pastor would be down there doing the altar calls. But now they're best friends. God changed the entire nation. God, do it again. Let's pray in closing. Father, we thank you today that you anointed Jesus with limitless power. I pray from the church to our businesses to our communities, limitless power would come. That we would stop thinking little with our little thimblefuls of your power, but we would go to the ocean. We would go to the greatness of who you are to see what we've never seen, to watch you do what's never been done. Would you break the molds? Would you do things that are so creative that no one would believe it unless they saw it, Jesus? We ask you to do it because you're able as we become less and you become greater.
as we trust that whatever we have will be your best. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Can you stand up and give it up for Jesus today?